today we are interviewing today on the mobcast episode 11 with meg's brap you're listening to the wannabes mobcast uh, super excited because this is probably the second biggest podcast that we've ever recorded uh, with Megan Griffiths. She is the one and the only person that you know as Meg's Brop, and she agreed to come on to the podcast with us to talk about her journey as a motorcycle rider, now an instructor and leading all of her own clinics, and also as an influencer, so it's super exciting. Yeah. She's... Um, I mean, almost everybody who rides a dirt bike knows who she is. So, I think probably. I mean, she's got a big enough following. She's in front of just about everybody. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's like a million people that follow her across all the different platforms. Combined. And I'm super stoked about that because I think, um, you know, we started off this podcast with, with Graham Jarvis, who obviously has an enormous following. It's very outsized. But I think behind him, I think Meg easily has the biggest following of anybody and sort of the most reach. And I think she's also one of the few people that's not doing social media as a hobby um, is my understanding that she's using it to drive her in her classes that she runs mm-hmm. and um, you know obviously like our business um, does something similar with social media and that we are trying to provide entertainment provide content um, but also leverage that audience to learn from them and, and um, share be helpful. with them and, and, yeah. and be helpful and I think she's trying to do that too she's not just a you know a racer throwing content up not that there's anything wrong with that but um I, i'm personally interested in in her approach to it and i'm, I'm hoping we learn some more about that yeah yeah so cool. without further ado meg's brop everybody hey thanks for coming on we really appreciate it um i'm kel you've been talking with john this whole time to get everything set up um yep. but i'm kel in the other half of our uh, little production effort so um okay been well thanks for having me watching you on instagram for a long time so i feel like i know you but <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'm sure we're, we're new faces, um, which is fair, but, uh, yeah, we're super excited to talk to you. I think that outside of Graham Jarvis, so we launched this podcast, we had like a a running joke that if we ever could get Graham Jarvis to come on a podcast, we'd start a podcast. And at some point John was like, let's just ask him and see what happens. And he said, yes. And so we launched a podcast, (laughs) but, uh, you're, we're episode 11, I think with you. But where I was going with that is I think that you're probably, other than Graham Jarvis, who's got, like, absurd number of followers on Instagram, I think you're probably the biggest, like, influencer that we've had on. So we've had a few, like, other racers that are big names, but um, your following is is bigger than than I think almost anybody else we've we've had on the podcast. We're pretty stoked about that and and a little bit in awe of you, to be be totally honest. We're we're a little starstruck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate the support. I just figured out how to be able to see you guys. I was just talking into space for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes were just darting around awkwardly, that's why. No, no worries. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, well, yeah, Seth, go. are we good to go? Good. The yeah. audio levels are okay? We just, we've managed to mess this up enough times that we figured out like kind of what yeah. we need to do in order to get the videos to turn out right. So, uh, and every time we do this, we also wind up um, adding in a new piece of equipment that we have to learn how to use so i think we have everything ready to go and all the all the audio is tuned and everything so um thank you for bearing with us and for (laughs) joining us on our podcast (laughs) um i think we can get started though let's do it yeah i um yeah 
I know the question that I always ask in the podcast is like, you know, just give an explanation of like kind of what you do an intro. Um, but you know, and I think I asked Cody Webb, this is like, you know, like if you're, if you're at a, like a dinner party or something like that, like, what do you tell people you do? Cause I, I have to imagine that it's got to get some like funny responses. Right. Um, so for, for anyone who's not into dirt biking, I usually just tell people, um, I teach motorcycle clinics uh, yeah. because as soon as I try to say like I'm teaching people to better their hard enduro skills, people are just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I just start with motorcycle clinics and then kind of go from there. You know, I'll go into detail, but yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I mean, yeah, there's, there's so many, you know, when we interviewed Max, Max Gersten, I think, in, what would he say? Like, he's like, I ride dirt bikes. I'm like, all right, that's probably the simplest answer we've ever heard, but yours is pretty close. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Well, you'd be amazed at how many people don't like, it just doesn't register when you try to explain what we do on our dirt bikes. It's just, yeah. unless they're a sport. Right. And even then, even then sometimes it's hard to really express the extent of what we do. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Especially if, if people like, even, um, for example, I work with a guy who's, who's like into enduro mountain biking and even he's like, so how does hard enduro work on a dirt bike? I'm like, you know, I, like I would expect him to get it and he does when I talk it through, but yeah, it's not intuitive. I agree. 100%. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks Seth. Turn that off. There we go. So, uh, I mean, how did you get into all of this? Like, what's your background and where did, like, when did you get into dirt bikes and then kind of leading up to where you are today? Like, what, what was your progression through that and learning, learning in the sport? So I started dirt biking in 07. So I was 17 and, you know, all, all my life as a kid, I always wanted to have some sort of machine with a motor to just explore the mountains in. And um, I ended up with a dirt bike simply because the dealership I walked into uh, sold me on a TTR 125. So I was looking at quads, dirt bikes, that sort of thing. Um, I didn't really have anyone in my life that was kind of uh, pushing me towards dirt biking or anything like that. It was pretty random, um, but I, I found my passion for it right away. At first it was scary, um, but I did find a real passion for it and started you know growing my skills and kind of uh, I figured out that I really love breaking down skills mm. so I started elevating my skills by breaking things down and practicing them and I mean this is a very long story short but I, I started getting into making video tutorials and just videos in general you know I'd video my races and I'd video all sorts of stuff and that kind of grew my YouTube channel so that's kind of how it started. It all started mostly on YouTube. And then I kind of accidentally stumbled into Instagram. I, I started an account just for fun because everyone had it. I actually dragged my feet for a long time. I thought it was dumb. Uh, <laughs> yep. But I finally got into it super late in the game. And um, I don't know. I, people liked what I did. I, I guess I posted the right video at the right time. And I started to gain traction. And then it was like, oh, okay, I'm making an impact. And my whole social media is what's kind of fueling my clinics, what I'm doing now, which is teaching clinics on the road, state to state. Um, and that, that's all based around the media following I've built because, you know, they're my customers now. So 
That that's super cool. I I think um I'm pretty sure I first like we first found you probably on YouTube like back in the day a little bit. And I think one of the first videos that I remember that caught my eye was you were talking about like downhill skills in the sand, like on one of the hills that we've actually ridden here in Southern California. Um, oh, and I was nice. like, I'm real sure I've ridden that hill. And and I was, this is was like a way back, right? But you were talking about like yeah. downhill skills and dragging the rear end and, and whatever. And um, I remember thinking like, ooh, she rides here where we do and she's like a big name, like whatever, I'm gonna follow this girl and um, yeah, back in the day. So anyway. But you're actually, awesome. you're in yeah. Canada, right? Um, No, so I'm from Canada. Okay. I, I was in BC all my life, but I've recently moved to Texas. Oh, okay. And then you travel around for the clinics, clinics are in the like US, all right? over the yeah. place then. Yeah, all over. The, I, I say the country, but sometimes I'm also up in Canada too. I actually mm. just got back from doing uh, clinics in New Brunswick on the east coast of Canada. Oh, cool. So yeah, I'm I'm doing it all over. Yeah. It's just the Canadian accent that's fooling you, John. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I wanted to touch on that, something you cool. mentioned just a second ago. So you got into the sport without really any like social group. I, I, so for me, I had a good friend that was into motorcycles, and he was like, you know always riding and then I went and got into it because he was into it and then I dragged a buddy into it and then Kale and I met um, like oh, my, a my brother after. dragged me into he had, it yeah he dragged so, you into it yeah. and then like um, that's how it goes typically right? yeah like, we, we probably dragged like 10 people into it since sure. then and <laughs> it's just like surprising <laughs> to hear like you know you just got the itch one day you went down to the dealership you bought a motorcycle you yeah. rode it and now you are the person that everybody knows as Megs Brop it's like that's like a that's a hell of a story just going from like completely out of it you know not even in the dirt bike world it's like yeah. most people who ride are like really good riders it's like oh my dad was into it and like you know right. that's that's a pretty common story you hear it's like the generational kind of sport um yeah what but, what what did they tell you at the dealership to sell you on a dirt bike I broke my collarbone on a quad like way, way, way back in the day and like don't that that's not part of anything I rode ride anymore really so right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly I don't remember what what they did to sell me on the TTR over the quad. It was probably it probably came down to the price, or maybe they pushed it a little harder because they got more of a kickback on the TTR that month. I don't know, uh, but I can't That's remember. Funny. It was, but it wasn't just a random itch. Like I'd been wanting a motorcycle or a quad since I was like old enough to even know what they were. Yep. So it was only when I was seventeen that I had enough money. And, uh, you know, could get a get I got a little bit of a loan, actually, with a cosigner. Uh, my mom, it was my first loan. So nice. that was the only time I was able to do it. So that that's awesome. I, I can 100% relate to having like that the childhood like fantasy dream of trying to get into motorcycling. And my dad was not having it. He was like, why would you want to do that? They're dusty and noisy. And I was like, yeah, exactly. He wasn't interested. So <laughs> yeah, I, I was yeah. I don't know, I was probably 30 before I started riding. I rode street for a while first. But yeah, like wanting to get into it was always uh, I 100% like a childhood dream and something I never had access to. So yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. very cool. So I know there's a lot to talk about and uh, we don't have a ton of time. So I, I think we like really want to just kind of dive into your background in riding. And I know you've done like a little bit of racing. You did the ISDE race. And um, we, I think that's probably a good place to start as any, right? Like um, what what is your background in racing? And then you've moved over more into the clinic side after that. Yeah. So my specialty like I started out in cross country and hair scrambles. That was my jam. Uh, we have a pretty uh, solid local circuit up in BC. Like it's, 
pretty gnarly. Um, so I started into that and really, really enjoyed it, although it was tough and I struggled and I had a lot of anxiety around racing. Um, but I was, I was super into that. And, uh, you know, every once in a while I'd go down and do a desert race in the U S or something like that. But, but for the most part, it was just cross country and hair scrambles. Um, and then, yeah, the, the ISDE was my first, which sounds crazy, but it was my first ever real enduro race. So like the classic enduro format and all that. Um, so that was a, a heck of a way to jump into enduro but um that was that was probably my craziest experience racing was going overseas and doing that iste um i think i was probably that was 2016 so i'd been racing maybe like four or five years at that point uh just cross country and stuff and then went over and did that what what caught your eye about the enduro series like what what was there something were you trying to get into that or what like what was the catalyst for this no so so the team manager for the like the women's canadian team reached out they they wanted to know if i wanted to go um and it kind of like i was hesitant i was very hesitant at first because uh well a it's really expensive to go and B, I had never done an enduro, um, so I it wasn't it wasn't something I was looking to do, but it kind of the opportunity arose, and then I just I ended up doing it, and, and I'm glad I did. It was a it was a wild experience, like it, six days of craziness, really. <laughs> I can only imagine that's crazy. Did, did you take your own bike over there, or like how does that? Seems like logistics would get complex. Yeah, so either you take your own bike or you rent one out there. Um, I got lucky. I was sponsored by Gas Gas at the time, and they agreed to provide me with a machine over there already. Okay. So I didn't have to rent or ship a bike. Mm. Um, nice. You know, that's got its issues on its own. If, if I'd prefer to have my own bike that I'm kind of one with and comfortable with, but I brought my suspension and any little knickknacks that I like to have on my bike, and I, I was pretty comfortable on it. Um, it, it worked well. That's really funny. So like you, you borrowed a bike and then like set it up. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. A, lo a lot of people do it. Like most people that, that are go going out there, bring a whole crate full of tools, um, parts, anything they need. And then you get there, either you're renting a bike or someone's providing you one, you build it on the spot. That makes awesome. sense. Cause like the part of the bike that's really customized to you is the suspension, right? Suspension. The yeah. And like the same, like, like she said, knickknacks. I love that. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's Just awesome. Pull your, your forks in your shock, <laughs> right. your suitcase. And I need my clever lever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. That's cool. But and, I mean, now, now like Enduro is your thing, right? So I, I'm assuming you got hooked on it or was that still not yet? Not really. So I've, so the ISCE was my first and only Enduro race. Right. So okay. after the ISDE, I I done I had done some more cross countries and hair scrambles, um, and now you know I, and and the odd hard enduro, but now I'm more so into race or into teaching, and it's not that I'm not into racing, but right now I'm I I've finally quit my day job as an electrician and I'm doing this full time, so I got to be careful um, to keep everything together uh because i got clinics fully sold out and booked out until the fall so if i you know if i'm messing around in the races just for fun 
it could potentially uh, upset my only income now. So I I have to kind of do adult things now and set priorities, (laughs) but I certainly feel I I miss being on the, on the starting line for sure. And, you know, I, I wouldn't mind getting back into it for a season at some point when I can afford to, um, because, you know, it, it would build some credibility. A lot of people don't know that I have a pretty solid racing background and um, not that most people aren't supportive, but the ones that aren't are the ones who don't understand my background. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I guess I didn't realize until we started digging a little bit that you had had a racing background. I mean, I knew about the clinics and some of the stuff you've done in social media, obviously, but yeah, I I could see that. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, uh, basically everything that I knew about you before this was what I knew from social media yeah, and, and Instagram clips, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just kind of assumed that you started, you know, just posting clips of yourself riding your dirt bike. And, um, yeah, I had no idea that you had a racing background. So that's cool to hear. We, we've heard you talk about the electrician thing too on, in some other places, but tell us, tell us that story. Cause that's pretty wild. Like coming off of, I mean, first of all, I don't know if anybody realizes, I mean, that, that that's like, a kind of a serious thing to, to do. And then it's awesome that you're out on your own, like running your business now. That's super cool too. Yeah, it was a, it was a big jump for me. I've been like planning to do this for a long time. And I am a like, I kind of flourish with a schedule and consistency, you know, like consistent paychecks coming in. I feel I'm a very high stress person. So the idea of running my own business and not knowing when I'm going to have my next income uh freaks me out so i had to be i was pushed pretty far before i finally got the nerve to do it um you know things were happening uh it working uh, i was working in the industrial sector and the you're, you're flying in and out right so you're out you're out of town for long periods of time you have no vehicle you have no bike you're up there and you're working and you stay in a man camp. So it's just, it's really yeah. hard on a person Sounds who hard. wants to be riding and training. And my passion was the thing on the sidelines and I couldn't build both very well while I was working. So it took a long time of just me kind of feeling like, oh my gosh, I gotta make a change, gotta make a change. And then, you know, a few things happened with some of the companies I was working for, uh, just got, you know, I was getting pushed a little bit uh, and treated poorly. And it finally was just like, all right, I've got enough money saved. Uh, and I had a whole tour planned out. Uh, so I made the jump. Um, I had quit in the past, uh, not quit, but finished jobs and not got not gone on to new jobs and tried and then had to fall back on it. But in 2020 was a, like when I quit for good and I'm still going, thankfully. Nice. That, that's um, rough timing, though. I've heard you mention before that like hitting that into COVID was a challenge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. It was an accident. I mean, it was yeah. I quit in February of 2020 oh. and then they announced all the COVID shutdowns in March. Yep. And so my tour got canceled. A lot of a lot of it got canceled and I had quit my job already and I couldn't get back on that job. So I uh, I went and lived in the woods. Um, wow. You know, because I had the money saved. I right. in case of an inc- incident like this, I guess, but I didn't want that getting pissed away month to month on rent. Yeah. So I just went and lived in the woods and <laughs> kept as much of it as I could until it was six months, I think, before I could get going again on some clinics. 
That is such so. a crazy story. And I mean, we followed you through some of that. So we've, we've seen some of your like Instagram posts about that experience. But like, I don't know, that that's like so wild. Like, how do you live in the woods? Like, how does that even work? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my family's very like into that sort of thing. Um, okay. You know, my dad and my brothers and my mom. I mean, we've all grown up camping. So it just it was kind of like taking camping to the next level like I lived in <laughs> camping a wall for real tent. right <laughs> yeah like, like a solid canvas tent it wasn't just like some Canadian tire tent in okay the woods. like okay it was a sweet setup it had a wood stove in it I I built a whole outhouse like I dug a hole in like a five foot <laughs> hole awesome. I built a shower like it was pretty like it was legit <laughs> where do you where do you put something like this like literally just like wander off into the woods and like build it or is there like <laughs> maybe we shouldn't ask that question. okay never mind scratch that <laughs> fair we, enough we don't want to give away the coordinates there's, here. <laughs> there's lots of space in canada right <laughs> yeah the backwoods are vast <laughs> that that's a crazy story though like i i don't know i mean obviously i've done backpacking and stuff but i always come home you know it's like... <laughs> right yeah that's wild I, so I guess maybe talking about Canada, I've always wondered, because I mean, we're from California, there's a ton of people here, there's diminishing places to ride, you know, I, I was doing the, I looked it up, you know, California's got 39 million people, and Canada, the entire country of Canada's got like 37, 36, 7 million people, like, it's a lot more open space. There's a lot of open space there, I have to imagine, like, the riding up there is really good, I but I've, I've never had the opportunity to ask anybody about like kind of what what the community's like up there and then you know just yeah like what it's like to live in that area and, and ride up there it, it's really good it, it is vast we have lots of riding areas it's not it's not like some states where you can just ride on public land um so our public land is is not you, you can't usually take dirt bikes on them unless it's a riding area so mm. but we have plenty of riding areas um, like hundreds of miles of beautiful single track, um, specifically in BC. I'm talking BC where I'm from. We, ha you know, we have lots of mountains, and the single track is just so excellent. We're we're very lucky there. It's pretty moderated, like very uh, environmentally conscious. You know, like build building bridges over waterways yep. and like stay on the trail kind of thing. And that's what keeps it. That's what keeps it open and allowed for everyone to ride. Yeah, we, we've got so I mean, that's basically how California is like a lot of the riding we do is on like OHV trails through like the national forest areas. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, good, good single track is I, I don't think we get any rain at all. So <laughs> there's that difference. But so how, yeah. you said that you recently moved to Texas. How are you faring there? I'm, I, I wonder because a, a buddy of ours moved to Texas and he was like, oh, my God, it's the flattest <laughs> he place hated it. on, the, <laughs> on the planet. Like all of the terrain yeah. features are below the, the horizon. <laughs> Like you got to go down to do a hill climb. <laughs> but right. I'm wondering how you like it there. Yeah, so it's it is like that. Um, but Texas is special. Um, it's really gnarly. the The riding areas that that do exist there are rocky, gnarly, difficult. It's it's all private land. So yeah. these riding areas, like you're you're allowed to do whatever you want. You can go off the trail. The creeks are trails. Mm -hmm. um, so and and they're small so the riding areas not being so vast and mm -hmm. and just like endless means you're going to be there like training sessioning like sections of creek or hill climbs and 
I found as soon as I started spending time out there, my my skills were just getting elevated because instead of just going out and being like, hey, we're going to do 80, 80 miles of yeah. single track and it's going to be awesome. It's like, okay, we're going to ride this creek section and practice like banks and and hill climbs, you know, like and it's the, the dedicated practice comes into play because you're not tempted to go on this just endless journey through the single track where you just flow and do yeah. do you. That's the difference, right? Between yeah. like we built a That's tiny little when you track. get serious. Yeah. yeah, learning how to do something as opposed to just getting through it is is a whole right. skill in itself. Because you're right yeah. when you the obstacle when you want to ride that like eighty hundred miles and you like you don't really care to learn the obstacles. You're just trying to get through and go right. And it's when you totally. stop and you just ride the obstacle all day and like try to actually do it right. And yeah, hundred percent hear you. That's super interesting. Yeah. Um, Ricky's had some stuff up from riding in texas that looked like that like I've, i think i know what yeah. you're talking about yeah yeah it's definitely like everywhere you go right it's got their their special yeah. you, you gotta find quirks. the good stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Um, as long as you know where it is so where's like your favorite place to ride now that you've i mean obviously you're all over the u.s doing your clinics and and you've had experiences in a few different places like what's your what's your like terrain um so i mean i'm always gonna love mountain single track because that's what I grew up well not grew up but that's what I learned in the beginning yeah. and, and learned to love but honestly my favorite riding area so far would have to be a tie between Phoenix the, the Phoenix area in Arizona there and then um, St. George Utah just because mm, yep. like it's just the terrain is so special there like you've got these crazy boulder canyons and then you know, a few miles away, you got wooded single track going up to snow covered mountains. Like it's, I, I found that area in Phoenix and then Utah to be super cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, we're obviously fairly close to the Phoenix area, but haven't done much riding out there. Um, and I definitely something that's on the bucket list that I like to get to. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's sick. It's it, like, they have such a variety. Like you got yeah. your classic desert riding, but then you got, like I said, Boulder canyons or wooded single track. Like it's just so cool. That's cool. Yeah. I've seen some your clips and others of like the, the like Creek beds with the boulders in Arizona, that, like, like super gnarly stuff. I'd love to get onto that. Yeah. Uh, it's like a ton of fun. Um, how did you get like, so you talked about like doing some of the enduro races and then switching to the clinic, but like somewhere in there you had to have like started to do your own skills training. Like what was that? What did that process look like? And, and how did you figure out like a, riding style you wanted to go like learn how to do and who taught like I don't know if you had mentors that taught you like what what was the process yeah so I, I like there was a there was a period when I first started uh, to right before I got into racing where I had no mentors and I was just basically the the biggest noob ever but I eventually met people out there that were way better than me and uh, specifically one guy his name is Hippie he became my mentor and he started showing me you know the possibilities on a bike like I'll never forget the first time I saw him go over like a it was like an eight inch log and my mind was blown I was like that's impossible you know? <laughs> yeah. and now it's like you yeah. know just the, the the bar is so much higher and it's right. so people like him have helped me realize my potential and um I've also learned a lot from people like him like there I, I look up to I don't know if you guys know him his name's Quinn Wenzel um, but he's one of the top hard enduro guys in the uh, U.S. circuit here, um, and he's just yeah. crazy good. Like he, his skills are 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 ten times above mine. And I, he, he's also a good teacher, so I learn a lot from him. And 
it's just kind of, I guess, my need to learn more and more with obstacles and the get kind of the gnarlier, the better, like pushing my limits has kind of led me to the hard enduro side of things. And that's, I guess that's why it's something I focus more on. I still love flowy single track and like, I love to throw down and like a cross country race or something like that. Uh, it's probably actually more my jam. I'm more suited to it being so small, but the hard enduro is what I do most because of the challenge and I'm practicing it because it's so hard for me as a small rider. And I just, I just want to keep elevating. You, you've got mad skills though, like hooking an ankle over the seat and you're like yeah. all the way off the bike. And I, I just, every time I see one of those clips, I'm like, and, and I complain about not being able to reach the ground when I'm off camber and like, grow up. Like, I yeah, <laughs> I want to talk about that. Cause like, I, I feel like that's probably one of the most underappreciated things about your riding. Like you're so good on the bike, but you're not very tall. Like, can you talk about that? Cause like, I don't know the first year. You just got to go all I, the way to the side, John. Like, get well, for real to so reach the ground. <laughs> the, the, when I first started riding, the guy who got into it with me was like, okay, you got to just got to dedicate a year to this. And you're going to crash the most in your first year. And I'm 6'2", you know, 190 pounds. Like, I can manage the bike okay. And then I look at your riding, and I'm just like, that first year must have been really rough to try to, like, learn all of the skills and develop and also not have the advantage of, like, you know, grasshopper legs like me. So I just wanted to know more about like what, what that's like. Yeah. Um, so my learning curve was very, like, like I said, I was probably the most novice rider you can imagine for a very long time. It was a very gradual. So like I wasn't getting into situations very often where I was, you know, needing to put feet down and couldn't kind of thing. Mm. I was riding forest service roads and just adventuring in the woods um, but once I started getting into it, uh, I guess racing really, really put it into perspective for me. Like there'd be a, a gnarly section in the race, at least gnarly for me back then. And I would just be like, oh my God, that that's where all the anxiety came from. Hmm. Because as a small rider, if I got off the track somehow, like down a side hill or got into any situation where strength and technical skills were needed, I was hooped. Like I would get picked up by the sweepers a lot, like hmm. in the beginning. And that was my biggest fear. Like, I don't want to get in a situation where I can't get out of. So, you know, I, I'd be shaking like a leaf on the starting line, just thinking, will there be a section that gets me? So that kind of pushed me to be like, okay, well, how can I overcome this? I don't want that to be a thing anymore. I want to be confident in the NAR. And again, it's come down to me focusing on balance um, so that I don't have to dab a foot as often right. and then really understanding techniques and breaking them down and doing it, doing things properly so that I'm not relying on brute strength and, uh, leverage that I don't have to get through things. Yeah. I feel like in, in a way it almost makes you a better writer, right? Like once you get past a certain point, you learn, you, you have, have to learn, to be, right? you have to be a really good writer cause you, you can't put a foot down or if you do, it's going to really cost you and you're going to you're going the yeah the 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 i mean I, I remember like early days like being afraid to go down something because like if i got the bike down in the bottom of like a gully or something like i wasn't sure i was going to get it back out yeah, and it's like so embarrassing parts. right and i wasn't even <laughs> racing but it's just like how do i even get the bike out of here you know and it's like i don't know you get to a point where you know you're going to get the bike out for sure and so it's not as bad like but i, I don't know being like smaller i feel like that would be yeah i, I guess i could sympathize but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're in the mindset that, like, you're just not going to put a foot down, 
Like, yeah. it's got to help you at some point. And you're riding uh, Gas Gas 300 right now. So, right? At least I'm under the impression you are. are what are you riding? Maybe I should say no, so question. <laughs> Get your facts straight, John. <laughs> yeah, well, the Gas Gas is in pieces because it was having TPI issues. Uh-huh. Um, we could do a whole podcast on TPI issues because basically I had to buy another bike like within the same like two months um, mm. because I'm on the road right now doing clinics. So I cannot be fussing with a TPI monster. Um, so I bought a new bike and now it's acting up. I've the last two days, uh, I've just been wrenching, uh, with no luck actually. So my, my new bike is a TE 300 I and it's, it's also not working. So I'm actually right now on my way, I'm driving eight hours to Ohio to the dealership where I bought it from to hopefully get it figured out before I have to do clinics in PA next week. Yikes. Uh, it's, it's not been good it's not yeah. been good no <laughs> that's super frustrating I, I mean just like I, I don't have a clinic that i have to show up to but it's still i hate when the bike is down like i can only imagine that there's like some pressure there well especially when it's brand new and you know i feel yeah. like i've i you know i I've, i bought brand new so i could right. have a reliable right. thing for my and then it failed me and then i had to buy another one and now that this you know, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I hear you. So I had I bought a brand new beta back in 2018. I bought a brand new beta 390 and like thought it was just the coolest thing. It was the first like new dirt bike I've, I'd ever bought. I was always on used bikes and then just had tons of problems with it. So, I, yeah, that that's like so disheartening. I can. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm I'm still riding a 2010 <laughs> KTM 300, which works great. <laughs> and I've re, I've resurrected that thing from the grave so many times, like rebuilt it. It still works great. I don't I don't feel like you're pulling away from me too much. So no, you're keeping up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's something something still to be said for those old carbureted bikes. Do you do most of your own own work? Like you're you, you mentioned wrenching, but like you're you're tearing into it yourself. I'm assuming that's what you mean. Yeah, for the most part. So I have a mechanic that I I call if I'm if I can't figure something out or if I have questions. Um, he's really good at what he does and he's really knowledgeable. So he helps me through anything that I'm unfamiliar with. Which this whole TPI endeavor has been a nightmare because I've been yeah. hanging on to my carburetor carbureted bike because I know a carburetor well. Right. So he's been helping me through these TPI issues. But honestly, it's new. Like the whole industry is still trying to figure out the tpi issues so yeah that, that's super frustrating i it's um I was, I was gonna make a joke that you can just ask people on social media you'll get all kinds of advice right? oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's a joke don't ask, <laughs> yeah, don't ask on social media anybody what's the best related. tire you want to run <laughs> how do you change your, what oil right yeah what oil what weight oil is the best the, for my bike the, there's a there's a joke i can't remember quite how it goes but something about like if you were like um when you need medical advice like do you go to a doctor or do you post on social media i don't know anyway it, it's much right. better if i could remember how it actually went but yeah you get it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's funny um but speaking of social media like i I don't know john like i don't want to run out of time and i'd love to get to what are we doing here uh, we still got a little bit of time yeah okay well okay so there was one thing i think that uh on on the note of tires and oil i wanted to know kind of like what your must-have uh upgrades and like when you when you bought your brand new bikes uh, bikes plural, plural. <laughs> <laughs> what what was the thing that you had to have like what are you setting it up with right so the biggest thing is suspension um i'm i'm a lot lighter than what these bikes are sprung for uh out of the factory so suspension is really important for me um and then 
I my second most important mod is tire setup. So I'm gonna set myself up for hard enduro, which includes uh, what a, a gummy tire on the rear. So you know every every company makes one. Um, right now I'm running a Dunlop on my old old bike. Uh, it's the AT81EX. And then I'm running a Kenda gnarly on my new bike that's having all the issues. Um, and, you know, the gummy tire just makes all the difference in the extreme terrain, especially as a light rider. My biggest struggle is probably traction. Um, I deal with, I, I struggle with wheel spin. Uh, so yeah. I do everything I can to help alleviate that problem. Gummy tire, tubeless in the rear, uh, and low, low air pressure, if any. Yeah, I, we're huge fans of tubeless. I um, saw on social media or, or somewhere you posted about how you're doing tubeless and moose in the rear. Are you still doing that? Or, and how's that working out for you? Yep. So the, the moose in the rear with the tubeless is a very small cutout portion of like an old worn out moose. Mm -hmm. So it's in there. It's not affecting the feel because it's really small, but it's in there just as a little bit of a buffer because I do like to run zero uh psi in there most of the time yep. yeah um but it's just there's a buffer well that, so, that prevents you from but, getting like a totally flat rear tire like just the other day like we had to ride i don't know 40 miles or whatever on like a completely flat rear tire like the tubeless is holding up just fine so the beads the beads locked but like the the tire itself is just collapsed and so i could see like putting a, a piece of moose in there to like prevent that failure would be kind of cool yeah, so for me, for me, I wouldn't be. I don't really deal with that full collapse, even on zero psi without right. a moose, just because I'm light. So I can get mm, away with it. But your average rider, like if you're 180 pounds or something like that, yeah, you wouldn't want to run zero unless you were in a real like gnarly situation and needed to get out of like a creek bed or something. But yeah, it'll be super squishy. I mean, the, my zero is yeah. probably like your average rider's three psi no that that yeah. makes sense i mean there's zero where there's like air in the tire but it's not registering i had mine like i slid it open on a rock so there was like a two inch gash in the thing so it had zero literally no air in it at all it was like the slime was flying everywhere like <laughs> yeah yeah total yeah. mess but it's probably but yeah. the same thing with the gummy tires too because you ran a gummy tire he's riding a, a, a 500 and that thing the gummy tires. entire knobs i really off. liked the traction of it though it was amazing it do you, do you, i'm assuming you don't have lines. very much tire life from those like you just you're willing to um, take the traction over life yeah the longevity isn't isn't as good but yeah. I, I they last they last me pretty well because again right now i'm mainly teaching clinics okay. if i was racing full-time yeah like i'd be going through a lot of tires i mean i was putting one on like i don't know every couple of weeks or something to do like a gummy like i would just destroy them like on the, the 500 just oh. shreds them but i loved the traction it was incredible but i just like i don't know i can't justify changing it that often it's like yeah i don't that's, know if it's better enough yeah, yeah it's crazy so i wanted to know more about your clinics like obviously you've gotten to the point where you've got this following on social media it's fueling your clinics you've developed your writing skills to a point where you're really good and, and people want to learn from you but like if i wanted to take a clinic from you how like how would i do that like where would i go and, and how often are you doing them where are you doing them that kind of thing yeah so i have a website well my so i'm partnered with a group called the traction e-rag and all, my whole schedule and clinic sign up page is on their website mm. so if you go on there you'll see like you'll see a tab for canadian tours and 
or Canadian clinics and US clinics. And then once you click into those, you'll see the whole schedule for that country. And um, it's just, you can sign up from there. So um, I'm offering like level one and level two clinics. Sometimes you'll find group rides on there too. If you just want to go on like an epic tour in an area you've never been, like I do those every once in a while as well. So all that stuff is on that website. That's Super cool. cool. Yeah. I'm familiar with Traction E-Rag. They're, they're pretty cool. Um, you mentioned level one and level two. So like, what does that mean? Like if I, like what can you expect out of a level one versus a level two clinic? So the level one clinic is something that's going to be super beneficial for, for just about anyone um, okay. that's, that wants to learn. Like obviously you're not going to get your top pros signing up for my level one clinic, but the level one clinic, we, we go way back to the basics and we break bad habits and then we build, build, build throughout the day until, you know, we're doing things like controlled log crossings, like specific techniques, um, executing uh, small practical controlled wheelies for obstacle crossings and, um, you know, really getting into the nitty gritty with like tight, tight turns and managing our like slow speed stuff. So that's what level one's all about. And then when you get into level two, it's quite a jump up. So I always recommend people take the level one. That was gonna be my next question. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. because if if you're not consistent with wheel placement and the ability to wheelie like all the time and, and choose how high that wheel is, level two is gonna be a bit tough because we go into things like suspended logs and double blips and log pivot turns. We we spend more time out in the trail than in the drill area as well. Like we'll hit up off cambers and banks and it, it really depends on the, the terrain I have at that specific location. So I'm, I got to cater it to that, but mm-hmm. we, we go into more advanced techniques. Do, do you require people to take level one before they can do level two or can people like self-select into level two if they think they've got it? So it's kind of a work in progress. Last year we were, we required it. I can't even say that. Um, and then it like a lot of people were just like, no, then like, I'm not going to take either. So this Mm. year we've been experimenting with letting people self-assess and decide. And I'm running into a lot of people who really, (laughs) a lot of level one folks in level two (laughs) clinic, which I mean, it's kind of a bummer because I really want everyone's experience to be the best it can possibly be. It really matters to me that everyone's taking as much as they can from the classes. And when someone's that far over their head, not only are they having a bad experience, but it's kind of ruining it for the rest of the group. People who are actually there, right? (laughs) Yeah, I do have to dumb it down to the lowest common denominator to a point, right? Mm. I'm not going to take us up something that I feel that you know part of the class is going to get hurt doing right so you know it's gonna there's got to be some sort of way to to do it and I haven't quite figured it out yet but I'm working on it what are you seeing as sort of the most underrated skill that like nobody learns that maybe you see across all the people like well like what are the basics that people really need to focus on that, that maybe they don't give enough emphasis on slow speed throttle control and clutching Mm. um people do not understand the importance of of learning how to really manage your speed uh with the clutch and smooth throttle um 
it's it's probably the thing I see everyone struggle with. Even when I get expert level riders in the level one class, I'll get them in the full lock figure eights, you know? So that stuff's going to matter in the, in the, in the really gnarly stuff, you know, one twist of the throttle on an, on an off camber, instead of keeping it consistent all the way across can result in the back wheel coming down. And yep. people don't understand how important throttle and clutch control is. Hmm. Yeah. yeah I think in, in any moto sport, but especially in motorcycle riding, there's like a tendency you see a lot of times for people to, try to just like gun it through stuff like hope that their momentum their speed's gonna like accidentally carry them wherever they need to go and then when it gets really technical like people kind of give up and go too slow and don't don't carry enough engine speed and they're just like feet down like like defeatist i don't know you see like mm, yeah right like slam into it and if you can't do it then just like give up and do you have a trials background i don't um i i'm really into that sort of stuff and i do have a trials bike now which i'm hoping to get more time on um but i don't have a trials background i wish i did because i would be a much better rider yeah it just sounded like the uh like something a trials rider would say yeah you're like talking like one <laughs> precision control of the bike being one with the bike is right. kind of like basically everybody that we've talked to so far like uh, Luis Forsley and Cody Webb and even Graham trials right, it was like right. clutch control and throttle control body positioning like those were the things that were really the, the kind of key yeah. points for them I think on on that question yeah 100% right not that we ask the same questions on all of our podcasts <laughs> no. we definitely so when you when you get people who try for level 2 and like maybe are struggling i'm assuming like those are the same things that they're struggling with or is there is there some like subset of people who like think they're good enough but i don't know something else they're missing like yeah so the the biggest thing that people who aren't ready for level two struggle with is their ability to corner because we go into really slow tight off camber turns and stuff and like that that's a struggle for everyone uh and then where i see it is also with wheel placement so i'll be like all right you know we're gonna be we're gonna be doing double blips it requires you know precision with the front wheel you got to punch the log at a certain area if people can't get the wheel off the ground consistently they they cannot try that drill without you know fear of hitting the bars with their hips you know like so yep. that becomes a problem that they're sitting out that drill and then the suspended log drill they're sitting out that drill and we get into log pivots and they're Oh, you know, they don't have that precision with the clutch to get right. the front wheel up. And right. uh, we, we do go over, like I, we do a whole segment on clutch pops in the clinic, but for someone who's never experienced that and who isn't comfortable having that front wheel up, it's, it's really hard to learn how to pop the clutch and get the front wheel up in, in a clinic. Right. Hmm. It, that makes sense. It takes like lots of hours of, yeah, like consistent yeah. practice for sure. Um, it's definitely making me want to take a class though. Like I actually want to just go ride talking about it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just go get on the bike. <laughs> we need to take a class from a lot of different people. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's interesting, like the whole class concept. Cause like we've, we've spent quite, I don't know. We spent the last year. I mean, we've been riding for a long time, but we spent the last year, like really concertedly trying to do like skills training. Like we built a course, um, you know, we're focusing on wheelie practice and, and like getting over like bigger logs and doing steps and all kinds of stuff. And I feel like there's this point where like you can only teach yourself so much kind of like I need somebody to watch me and tell me like, okay, I see like the little things you're doing wrong. And here's like some corrections you can make or something to think about. 
um, that yeah. are going to like get you to that next level. Um, and, and I've gotten really interested in the like class concept because of that feeling. So I don't know if that like, like play out with what you're seeing with the people that you teach, like to make sense. Yep. The, the, the feedback is really important. I, and I notice it with my riding, like I'll get to right. a point with my riding where I, I like, I want to learn something and I'm really struggling with it. Like right. a great example would be like, uh, double blips and then the next level up jab saps. For me, that was, I wanted it. I wanted it. And I'm trying, trying, trying for so long. And it's like, I, I, it gets to a point where I need someone who's better than me to help me through that. And then, so I had a little bit of coaching from guys like Quinn and, uh, uh, another friend of mine, Paul. And it was just like, ding, ding, ding. Like that was it. Needed a little bit of feedback. So I've experienced it and I try to give it, uh, to the students as much as I can too. That's cool. That totally makes sense. I I feel that, like, I feel that that's missing. Like I've never taken a class of sort of self-taught, but like the other thing I've experienced is, um, it's not hard and durable, like chasing guys on the single track who were way faster than us, you know, like a couple of years ago, were just killing us and just trying to keep up with them, like, you yeah. know, makes you faster. Right. And I think like today I can hold my own, but like it was watching somebody go faster and being like, Oh, I see what you're doing. Like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think a class is in our future. I it is. said that, it but is. like <laughs> we need to just go do it. <laughs> We so we need to talk about social media. Yeah, let's so so uh, let, let's switch gears a little bit if that's right with you. Um, obviously, so I, I in the intro like we were talking about how I think one of the reasons like we're we're so impressed with you is the social media following that you've managed to build and like we've been working on it for a couple of years, but obviously have like nowhere near the success that you've had so far. And I'm really curious um, about a few things. So I don't know if you want to give kind of an, a little bit of an intro about how you built your following. I know you said that you've like enjoyed kind of starting it and Instagram was kind of like a, an afterthought and stuff like that. But obviously you're doing fairly well these days. Um, how did that happen? Yeah, so it, I mean, like I said in the beginning, it was just chill, just wanted to do it for fun. But it started it started with a viral video and then people getting, you know, getting lots of comments and response to it. Is that on, and, on YouTube? Uh, uh, no, the, the Instagram. Thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and so it took one video to kind of snowball things and get people following me. And back then, like I'm talking, I think it may have been like 2015 or something. Um, it, it, it was easier to grow, right? Mm, like yeah, you could do that. cool stuff people would see it and be like holy crap this is sweet and they'd follow you now things are different like the algorithm is a pain nowadays um (laughs) it's really hard we have thoughts about the algorithm (laughs) but yeah Yeah. oh it's it can be devastating right if your social media is your livelihood and they they can just switch things up and make it impossible to grow um you know that's that's really discouraging and and i've been feeling that uh my instagram's growing much more slowly than it ever has um but i'm kind of switching gears and focusing more on platforms where i feel like i'm still reaching my followers they're seeing what i'm posting and it's continuing to grow uh specifically facebook uh it's just been crazy so facebook and youtube i mean i think youtube's a really valuable platform yeah um because the, the people on there are there to like it's not just kind of like scroll, scroll, scroll. Right. People are there because they've looked, they're looking up, you know, how to short rider tips or 
you know, how to load a bike or whatever it may be. They want to see the video and they're watching and then they're reacting and commenting. And it's like, it's very, it's more like thoughtful and, and a better experience, you know, interacting with these people. So I'm focusing on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, that, that totally makes sense. I, I mean, we, we, like we have a product that we sell and like YouTube has been far better for that, even though we're much smaller than on Instagram, like Instagram doesn't really move product, but like serious YouTube videos, like engage people in a discussion that's meaningful and hundred percent hear what you're talking about. That's kind of surprising Um, to hear about Facebook because I think about Facebook is like the, it's your mom's social media at this point. Social media, right? It's like, it's the old, I mean, we're, we're old enough to like, we were around before Facebook, obviously. So like we were on it in the early days, but isn't it like a, I don't know. Like I got off well, Facebook cause it's, it's so trolly. Yeah. It was like, two things, right? Like everybody moved over to Instagram, at least the younger crowd. And then, uh, like a lot of the groups within Facebook were very toxic environments for a lot of people so, to like follow. And like the yeah. conversations that people would have on there were very kind of, um, you know, was just a really not, good example. There's a, there's a, a dirt biking group that's local to us that was on Facebook. And when we got involved years back on that group, like there was maybe a thousand people in it and you could always find like somebody great to go ride the local trails with or whatever. Like you just throw up, you know, Hey, I'm going to ride Saturday. Who's in. And you knew the people who were going to show up and stuff like that. And then within a couple of years, that group was at like 12,000 and everything you posted on there would just get attacked. And it was like, it was a miserable place to be honestly. And so like, I don't know, I think John and I both were like, forget this like we're off facebook let's go do something else and i guess we've never looked back so it's really interesting to hear that you're having having luck there and i'm it's making me wonder if it's like changed or you've done something different or yeah so i i totally get that whole negative thing like sometimes i have to turn off uh no like if a viral a, a video goes viral on facebook for me i have to turn off the notifications because the comments are so <laughs> interesting um, but but like my facebook following the people who aren't just seeing my videos when they're viral, they're really wonderful people and dedicated. And it's, it's almost quadruple the size of my Instagram following. Like it's, it's much bigger. So Hmm. I can post something and like, I get a lot of interactions and I can, I, I, it's more fun for me. Um, it's definitely toxic though. When anything goes viral, it's like, I can't even look at my phone because it's, it's like, it's really hurtful and, whatever right i'm learning to let things roll off my back um but you know the the, my community that i've built not just the randoms from viral stuff is very they're super into what i'm doing and and they're awesome to to interact with and you know that makes sense yeah we've definitely seen that where like the algorithm will pick up a post and then you get all these people you've never heard from before and even on instagram yeah instagram is basically the same thing it's just a little bit different um, but it's always surprising to me how, you know, there is so many people who just want to drop a comment and, and think it's going to change your whole world. And it's like, well, you're just feeding the algorithm for me. You're just making it so that my, my post you know, does better. So like, troll away. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how I think about it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like at some point you just stop answering people. It's like, okay, whatever. Like, I think one of the comments we get the most is like, where is this trail? I'm like, not going to tell you because we get so much yeah. shit for like telling people where anything is because there's someone else who yeah. doesn't want people to or, I mean, whatever. Or shift just, down. God, it's this whole thing. <laughs> shift down. No, that was on TikTok. Oh, yeah. God. For a while, everybody on TikTok was shift down, shift down. Yeah. I'm like, I just stopped answering people. I'm like, whatever. That's fine. So that's one question <laughs> I had is I, I know you're on TikTok, but what do you think of that platform? Have you had any luck there? Or like, what do you think is sort of the next 
kind of up and coming platform. TikTok's no longer up and coming. <laughs> it's, it's not like TikTok is basically up with everybody yeah. else. But like, are you look, experimenting with any other platforms that might be interesting to look at? Um, I haven't. Uh, honestly, I'm. I have so much going on that I, I struggle <laughs> to maintain the platforms I do have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, TikTok, like TikTok, has value, man. Uh, the problem I'm having though is that every video I post gets taken down for community guidelines violations. So I don't know if I've, I got haters reporting me or like, I truly don't understand, but I can post a video of me railing a berm and it'll get pulled down for dangerous acts or yep. harmful acts to children, like really random stuff. And one more violation and my accounts deleted. So I don't really post on there anymore, despite having over a hundred thousand followers. So we had that a little bit. I mean, we're not at a hundred thousand, but um, we had that a little bit for a little while when our account was new, and we appealed every one of those and won most of the appeals, and then they kind of stopped. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. But, but that's like the danger of I social media. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I I appeal them and and they just keep. I've I've won a few, but I, a lot of them they're just like nope. Like there will be videos that don't have any sign of children, yeah. and it'll it'll be like a abuse to minors or something <laughs> it's all these like automated bot decisions it's really made social media like there's value in it obviously like it's how you can like talk to an audience but it's so hard to navigate like 100 percent. like i like we love and yeah. hate it like we end up not using instagram like for fun because it's like so i don't know like you just get worn out like you post something and yeah. you've got to deal with comments and all that. And you're just like, I'm done. I want off. Like, I'm not even going to go scroll it. Cause I, like I've had enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Super it's, interesting. From the kind of business side of the thing, obviously you've built your social platform. Uh, you've, you're doing your clinics. It's, it's, you know, you're obviously working for yourself. This is a business, I guess you could say, if, if you want to call it that. 100% I'm like a business. wondering kind of what the next thing is. Like, what are you, what are you going to be doing next? Is it just running clinics for a while and try to keep growing your social platforms? Or do you have something kind of big coming up that you're working on? Um, so nothing crazy or big. I mean, I'm planning on, I'm planning on growing what I'm doing. This business the clinics is is just in its early stages so you know it's eventually my plan is to be global i'm not just going to be touring uh the us so or just canada right uh so that's kind of a plan that's in the works a little bit and then um you know just basically getting it a little bit more well known because uh the clinics that the clinics that get marketed well are full with big waiting lists and that's excellent. It's, it's so awesome, but I'm still having problems with marketing in some senses. So that's something I'm working on too. Mark, figuring out how to market my classes in areas that don't have like a lot of support, mm -hmm. uh, without having to sit there on my, my pages being like, sign up for my class on this day, <laughs> you know, because right, yeah, right. we all know how it. that goes. Nobody wants to see that. Um, and it, you know, it, it doesn't reach a lot of people anyways, like at least not locally to where I'm trying to market the clinics. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we've struggled with that too. Like, how do you talk about what you're doing, what your business is? Cause like, yeah, you're right. Nobody's interested. They just want to see another clip of writing or whatever, or some fail. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> um, it, so is that, but like, is your, are your, the clinics that, that don't fill as fast, is that like a geography thing or is that like time of year, like seasonal? What's the, what do you think is like the. 
the piece that's there, that's like a struggle there's a little bit of like location and time of year that can come into play but a lot of it is marketing so like let's say i have a clinic in pa and it's like i'm partnered with a big club like a strong club yep. sold out with waiting lists immediately you know but then i'll do one someone will reach out just a rat like a private person will reach out and say hey i have a property in this place i want to host a clinic and a lot of the time that those ones are harder to fill because that person doesn't realize how hard it is to to market things if you don't have any sort of reach right so i can i can talk about them here and there gently but i'm not going to sit there and market a, a clinic local to you know like one one little town in one little state to my global audience yeah like right. that's not something i want to be doing well, we need to host a uh, clinic then, I think. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. And then... and, but we got to actually fill it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we could fill it. I, I feel pretty confident. How, how does that people. work? So, like, what? yeah, what? what is – so if somebody wants to host a clinic with you, like, how many people do they have to, to put into it to make it, like, a, a thing that's that's worthy of you, like, coming out to? So I, we ideally try to fill three full days in the area. So it'll be, like, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If those all fill up, uh, we'll often open a Monday and the classes fill at 12 because we're you know smaller groups mean more one-on-one and more feedback for each individual yep and i'm I'm really serious about that i don't i don't want the groups big although it would be more a lot more money um but it's just hard to like interact right yeah i want the product to be good and i want the people to be leaving with like stoked you know so we keep the group small but we try to do at least three days and we mm. want to fill them, you know, if, okay. if we can. So, the, but those three days, like those are three like different groups, or the people, the same yeah. people do three days. Three different groups. Okay. So we'll have like an all women's level one on the Friday, mm-hmm. a co-ed level one on Saturday, and then a level two on Sunday, or another level one if it's it. if those are filling up. And and how long is like each session? Is like a, like a whole day, or if, like what's the what's the format? Yeah. It's a whole day. So we start at nine and we usually finish around four. Okay. Cool. So I'm becoming painfully aware of the fact that it's getting dark where you are yeah. and you're <laughs> fading think, into I'm the darkness sorry. in the back no, of no, your no. truck. <laughs> it's making us realize we're, we've like, we're eating your, we're, we, we've kept we're you over too time. Long. We're over time. We know. Uh, it. <laughs> but I, I, while you're sitting in your truck, I, I, I wanted to know more about the van life, uh, which Tr- for you is truck the truck life, life yeah. and the trailer life. Um, <laughs> yeah you're traveling a lot obviously like uh, you're living out of your truck you're going all over the place but uh yeah like why why did you decide to go the truck and trailer route rather than with the the van yeah sprinter van like everyone does yeah (laughs) yeah so a lot of it had to do with finances like to get a big enough van for my dogs and i and the three motorcycles i drag around would be pretty expensive and uh it just wasn't in the cards for me. Things happen really quickly. Like I, for a long time, I was dealing with a lemon vehicle that was costing me a lot of, you know, my mental state and yeah. a lot, a lot of money. Hmm. So I needed a vehicle quick and I couldn't, vans were not available. I didn't have time to mess around look, searching on the used market and like potentially having to build it out. So I got myself a truck um, and then, and then the trailer came after the fact. So it's, it was just kind of the way it, it happened. I'd rather have a van because the trailer life is a pain. 
like my my mileage is savage and i um i'm not very good at pulling trailers or at least i'm not very good at backing them up and i'm not comfortable in tight areas so it's yeah. really stressful for yeah. You just gotta treat it just like the dirt bike, and like have somebody point out your uh, your like your you opportunities for improvement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, a spotter. That's what I've been doing. Like yeah. I, honestly, I have a friend where I was just at, and he he helped me a little bit, and I was at my wits end. Now, like, I'm I'm turning the wheel this yeah. way, <laughs> acting how it should, and I'm like having a breakdown. I'm like. <laughs> I love it. I love the it. Struggle is real. It's it's easy to get there. I like watching um like fails on you on YouTube like the compilations and so many of them are people trying to back like boat trailers down the ramp and they're oh, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. So funny. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Oh, awesome. Well, we've definitely kept you over time and we appreciate it. I, I feel like John and I could talk forever. I mean, we we love this stuff so much. Um yeah, both we get social chatty. media and, and the dirt bike. Yeah, I like so. <laughs> So it's great, no but it, it's been awesome having you on. We'd love to bring you back sometime and like dive more into. Uh, we have this whole list of questions. We didn't even get to half of it because yeah, we talk well, too much. But <laughs> maybe someday in the future we'll try to host a clinic for all of our that, friends here in Southern California, and we can actually learn how to ride properly. I, I know we need the help. Yeah, for sure, that'd be <laughs> awesome. So it's um, definitely on a, a thing that we're gonna work on. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks a ton. Enjoy your evening. Having <laughs> for sure. Cool. All right. Bye. Bye. That was super interesting. Yeah. I so I have this building theory that I think a lot. So uh, we did the like we went into this podcast expecting to understand a little bit about how somebody else leverages their social audience to provide value, but also to to like grow a product or service. In Meg's case, um, she's doing her classes. In our case, obviously, we're selling her chin mounts. And I think that there's something kind of unique about that. Um, in the moto space, like a lot of people are putting out content just to be entertaining and that that's awesome. Um, we watch that stuff obviously like anybody else, but there's not a ton of people that are, are trying to be entertaining and informative, but also like leverage that audience to have a kind of a two-way conversation. And all of that is interesting because I think that the social media platforms have kind of gone the wrong direction in how they treat creators. So there's this whole long conversation around it, but the gist of it is that as a creator, it used to be that you could go on social media and build a following and you could sort of, um, it, it was a two-way street. You provided content and your following provided eyeballs and, and it was like your way of marketing or advertising or whatever, right? Through content. It's like sort of the, the truest form of content marketing that, that has ever existed to date. And unfortunately, the algorithms are kind of shitting on that, honestly. Like it, it no longer matters how much of a following you built or the fact that you've kind of earned an audience through reputation and through content, the algorithms don't care anymore. They care about sort of this randomness factor that nobody can control. And it means that it's really difficult to, to get any, to have any purpose behind having an audience because we're, we have 20,000 Instagram subscribers, for example, and we're as likely to have a post get in front of 5,000 people or whatever as some kid with 200 followers who put up their first post today and it just happened to get caught by the algorithm as somebody like Ram Jarvis who's got millions of followers and also just happens to get caught by the algorithm or not as the case may be and obviously mostly not like not everybody can be viral every day yeah it's really frustrating it, it is frustrating and yeah. what was really interesting to me is like we struggle with that and I always felt like it was an internal struggle but the more we kind of talk to other influencers about that problem the more we hear that reflected back yeah. And I think Meg kind of confirmed that, like, you know, she's got problems with the auto um, censorship's not the right word, like the auto content moderation, right, is making mm -hmm. mistakes. We've seen that. And she's got this kind of conundrum of, like, 
you build this audience over a few years and now the algorithm is saying like we don't really care that you have an audience we're just going to pick random stuff and it might it might be the kid next door or it might be you with with your with your audience that you've earned and it's like all the same and on the one hand it's like this great leveler and it's great for the the platforms maybe but i wonder what it does to creators yeah i mean i don't know i have all my thoughts on that it's really sad to see and and i hope that you know things change and it makes it easier for all of us and maybe maybe we're going back to facebook like meg yeah (laughs) we haven't taken that platform seriously in a long time and and that was one of the big the most surprising elements of this whole podcast to me was to hear that she's actually going back to a platform that i feel like most people have just forgotten about it's interesting because every time we do one of these podcasts i feel like we have some like really interesting takeaway you know you 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 learn something about photography or suspension or running a race or whatever and everybody has like a nugget that they drop Mm mm-hmm and obviously Meg, obviously like her focus is on these classes and stuff, but I feel like my takeaway as like a business owner and like influencer was go try, go, go give, give Facebook a second shot. Maybe. I was really impressed with her whole, uh, outlook on the sport. Like as a woman coming into the sport, not really having any support or, or social network around that starting cold like and just that. starting. Yeah. Like I like she said, she's always wanted to do this ever since she was a little kid. And, you know, she went and bought a dirt bike. She learned how to ride a dirt bike. She got into the community. She started racing. She got really good. And now she's teaching people how to do it. And that's like all on her own initiative. Like that, that's an truly inspiring story for anybody, no matter who you are. Like you've done, like most people are too scared to try anything new that they're not like automatically good at. Like you just have to be blessed with a skill and be like a natural from day one for most people to like try something new i think most most dirt bikers that we know got dragged into the sport like yeah. almost kicking and screaming by somebody your dad rode your dad was a racer in my case my brother rode and literally dragged me in kicking and screaming like yeah. i was like no i'm not or gonna you go, came over from like mountain biking not gonna go dirt like biking with you like i'm good i'm good i'm good and then finally i was like fine i'll go just to shut him up honestly and like immediately loved it or yeah, mountain bike. Right? There's like some 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 like gateway. something got some, you into it. Right. Like you knew somebody something hooked you. The fact that you just makes you showed up in a motorcycle day. store, right? <laughs> Which is such a cool yeah, such a cool story. I mean, I get like the the itch from an early age. Like I remember going into a motorcycle shop when I was probably like six oh, years old and like seeing in for there it. and oh my god, I wanted it so bad. It was like thousand dollars and like oh, it was, it was never, yeah never going to be able to afford that. I didn't even think my parents had that kind of money. Yeah, <laughs> they I know. Did, but. It was so far beyond the realm of possibility. And like, yeah. now, like, yeah. It's just, just to see somebody just like go and take that initiative. But I think that tells yeah. you a lot about her character. And with that backstory, it's not at all surprising that she's now reached the point where she can teach classes and she's running a business and doing this whole time. Because yeah. that personality drives you through all sorts of um, let's go try big things. When it shows through all the rest of the things, yeah. right? Like growing a social media channel, being consistent, right. posting, right. getting good content. Like it's not really, I guess, any surprise that she's been able to be as successful as she is because she's an incredibly driven person and has an incredible work ethic. And, you know, obviously she probably could ride circles around both of us, Absolutely. which is awesome. I That's love why it. we're going to go take her class. Yeah. So who knows? Moral, maybe that will. Yeah, take her class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but oh, it, we didn't ask her where we wanted to point people, but we'll put. Um, I'm sure we can find it. We'll put links in the description to Erag. 
motor Tra- traction e rag traction e rag yeah, uh, yeah that and and she no she did say that's where she's got her um, that that's where her, her courses are like you can sign up for them so links links will all be down there her social platforms and all that stuff we're gonna put all that down there um, for you to find. And we highly encourage you to check that out. If for some ungodly reason you don't know who Meg is, then um, you're in for a treat. If you do you know... You just don't exist on social media. Yeah, you're dead to us. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you watching us and not her? God, what's wrong with you? Um, what do you got there, John? I have a What helmet. are you intruding with? I <laughs> I am interjecting into this podcast I mean, what pays... I, mean, I, I have a helmet, you, too. You have a helmet, too? I have a helmet, too. Ooh, see. My, my mount's cooler, though. Yeah, that's not the <laughs> Yeah, get, get that relic out of here. Um, it's a museum of chin mounts. It is. Uh, so the thing that supports our channel and allows us to grow and supports our business is these cool little chin mounts. Basically, we make a whole line of these. Therefore, all of the different helmets we have like seventy in our store right I now. Think this that might be growing. like number seventy. Is like it we're right there? Somewhere yeah. In. So we have a ton. Uh, the the number is ever growing as we design them. We get them listed up on our website. But basically. They're custom fit to each individual helmet. They give you cool things like the distance from the helmet so you get tip back angle. They're made out of a rubberized filament, so they're very crash resistant or, or impact they're resistant. They're crash proof. They're crash proof. We've crash-proof. run these things over with trucks. We smashed break them. them with sledgehammers. You can't, you can't break, break them. them. Your um, camera and your helmet are broken long before the mount breaks. And your neck and everything else. And you're, in tr- you're in trouble. Yeah, you're in the ER. Yeah. Uh, so check these out. We, we don't wish you. If you want to support our podcast, also check out our dope shirts. Actually, so these are both old versions, but the yeah. graphic is the same. Like the artwork is fantastic. If anybody knows who Tristan is, he's local here to Southern California. A fantastic artist. Um, artwork by him that we commissioned. Um, but we've got those up on our shop, which you can also find links to in the description. Yep. And then of course you must like and subscribe because this is podcast up. Ep- podcast episode 11 which tells you that like we're on to something here so we've done 10 of these before this one we're going to do another 10 over the next few months these drop monthly roughly like subscribe hit the little bell thing whatever i know that that's like super trite to say but these podcasts are pretty cool and there's more of them coming and we in fact we've got people lined up that you're going to want to hear about so yeah join a bunch us of cool guests coming yeah. down the pipe and even if you like ignore all the other videos that we periodically post about you know cool stuff like how to fix your dirt bike that's fine but watch these podcasts because these are cool i think that's all we have to say i think that's it yeah see you later bye-bye bye-bye now bye-bye now bye-bye uh up there bye-bye now bye-bye